0: Listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. It seems like we would never get here, but here we are on Election Day, and I hope that you get a chance today to get out there and exercise your franchise. Let that franchise free. Just take that franchise and just put it right out in the open. And when people say, Sir, sir, please, could you put a leash on your franchise? I you say, No! I am exercising my franchise. Now, most voters are going to cast their ballot today, but keep in mind that 4.7 million Canadians voted in advance polls last weekend, and that's a 29% increase over 2015. So what does that say about the turnout? Conventional wisdom is, is we all hated this campaign. We hate everybody. We're in a bad mood. We're going to stay home. We're going to stay home. We're going to pout. We're going to watch that Watchmen series on HBO and try and figure what in the world is that thing about. Made no sense. But it seems like there is perhaps more of an interest in voting than perhaps the pundits think. And I think the numbers are going to be up higher than you think. Now, let's take you to Papineau, where Justin Trudeau... Voted with his kids in tow. I want to just play the sound from that because you don't hear him talk, but here is the some of the video. It, this is, this is, you can see the, hear the the clicks of the uh, cameras there. Trudeau with his children right beside him, leaning down, marking something on the ballot, taking some time explaining the different parties, perhaps, to his children. Now, as you watch that, you might ask yourself, wait a second, wait wait a minute, you're, you're supposed to be by yourself behind the screen. What's with the ankle biters back there, JT? What's that all about? And what are the rules about that? Because we we're having a discussion here, one of our employees there, one of our new employees, said that she went to vote, she's got four kids, she went to vote early this morning, and the returning officer said, kid's got to stand over there. Outrageous! Oh, right, what do you mean my kid's got to stand over here? Kid's like four years old. Why can't the kid come back over here and watch me mark the ballot? Watch me exercise my franchise. Well, we checked into it, and here are the actual rules. According to Rajan Grenier, who is a spokesperson for Elections Canada in Ontario, parents are welcome To bring their children, and children can come behind the screen if necessary. Quote At Elections Canada, we'd like to recommend it because it shows your children about civic duty, the civic duty of voting, and showing them how it's done. Show them what their civic duty is going to be when they become a little older. So, for parents out there, moms, you're thinking, I I don't know, I got the, uh, you know, he's going to wake up from his nap. You can take the kid behind the screen and if the elections officer if the returning officer says no you can't you tell them to call me and i'll straighten it out for you now by law everyone who is eligible to vote must get three consecutive hours today to cast their ballot if your hours of work do not allow for three consecutive hours your employer must give you time off to either leave work or vote to vote or adjust your hours I'm thinking of taking my three hours starting about now. Can I just? Would there be a problem with it? Yeah, I'll be right back. Got to head to the beaches. Your employer has the right to decide when the time off will be given. You'll see, you now there, right there is the problem. The rule does not apply to people working in the transportation industry. Heads up, pilots. If you're a pilot, you're on a. Cross-country flight right now. You are not allowed to leave your post to go and vote. Forget about it. Uh, Pictures, I want to remind you of this. A lot of people posting today, shots of them outside the polling station going in to vote. Here's something you don't do. Don't take any pictures inside the polling station at all. Now you say to yourself, well, hold on. Did you just not play audio of Justin Trudeau voting? Were there not cameras there? Well, journalists will take photos from the door. That's basically how that works. And it's set up with Elections Canada in advance. They say, no, you got to go and stand over there. And it's this crazy thing where every year you do this because you got to get the visuals of people voting, you see, or you get the visuals of the leader voting. In this case, it was Justin Trudeau in Quebec. And then there's just, there's like about 100 people from Elections Ontario, and they all are interested in telling journalists where to stand and what to do. And you crowd in behind this door, and you can't come over the, nope, you can't come in here just on the other side of the door only. And that's how you get the picture. Uh, with a long telephoto lens of the politicians voting, or the stock footage that we often use in years to come of, you know, every time you do a story about voting, well, let's get that voting stock up. That's where that came from. By the way, Senator Pupatello, you may remember that name, a former McGinty cabinet minister, she voted in an advance poll and then took a picture of herself holding her own ballot And posted that onto Twitter saying, I did it! I voted for me! Tagged the Liberal Party of Canada in Ontario. Five minutes later, Pupatello deleted the tweet and apologized. You can't do that, folks. You can't do that. Don't take a picture of yourself in the room. Do not do the selfie. Don't do the thing where you're like, ah, get that shot from high above. Just high. With your phone out. So what is it that you actually need today? And obviously your cell phone is not the thing that you need to go vote. Here's Priya Sama what to bring to the polling station.
1: You make sure you bring your voter information card if you have it. If you don't, your driver's license will do, or you'll need two pieces of ID. One of them must have your address. So think of things like your bank statement or your hydro bill. To find your polling station, you can go to the Elections Canada website. You just plug in your postal code and it will tell you where to vote. And if you're working today, have no fear, your employer is required to give you three hours maximum uh, to go vote. So depending on where you live and how long it is, it will take you to get there from work. Uh, They must support you going to the poll today.
0: You see, we're going to have Priya Sam live on the program, but we had to give her three hours off. This is, we had to give her three hours off so she could vote, so she couldn't be here live. Uh, And if you actually bring your hydro bill this is what I recommend you do is you get your hydro bill as one of your pieces ID and you bring your kids you see and then you show the hydro bill to the returning officer and say look at this sucker this kid beside me he's playing he's paying a fraction of this Ah, I'm not actually paying my full bill I'm actually making my children pay for my hydro use but that's another story isn't it now this is nothing like last time around in 2015 tonight much, much tougher to forecast. Here's Eric Sorensen. It's hard to see a path to a majority uh, for, for anybody. Or Sean Simpson. Uh, the Bloc has too much support in Quebec uh, for the Liberals to get to a majority, and the Liberals have too much support in Ontario for the Tories to get to a majority. So uh, uh, this is the end of the campaign, but really the deal-making is just uh, just beginning. And I suspect that the, uh, the next couple of days will be very interesting for political observers. Very interesting indeed. That was Sean Simpson from Ipsos. My mistake, I got a little ahead of myself there, talking about the fact that it's difficult here to see any path to majority. Although I think there's a lot of people that they're listening that are like pollsters, huh? Hmm. Seem to recall you getting things wrong in the past. But it does appear that with the strength of the block, that just simply no party is going to be able to get to that magic number. What's that magic number? Write it down on your hands. One seventy. That's how many seats you need to form a majority government. Pretty much, it doesn't look like either the Liberals or the Conservatives will get there. Here now is Eric Sorensen with why it's so much tougher to forecast this time around. On election night 2015, before the polls had closed in much of the country, signs were already pointing to a stunning Liberal victory. The 32 ridings in Atlantic Canada all went to the Liberals, giving the party a huge head start on the night. Tonight, the Maritimes could signal a different outcome. Some ridings in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick could swing back to the Conservatives. Over the campaign, Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer made at least 20 whistle-stops in the three maritime provinces because of the competitive races there. Most of the swing ridings, however, are in Ontario. The four main party leaders held more than 100 campaign events in the province that often decides the election outcome. But on a night that could be a close finish with a minority government, it may come down to the ridings where the polls close late in British Columbia and Yukon, Eric Sorensen, Global News. Oh, we go going to party all night long. Time to talk about your money, your tax money, and specifically the cash you give to City Hall. Is it being well spent? When it comes to the City of Toronto's extensive fleet of vehicles, the City's Auditor General says millions have been potentially unnecessarily spent, because of negligence, inefficiency, and missed opportunities. The Auditor General announced the findings findings in a forty seven page report, which marks the second phase of our examination of the City of Toronto's Fleet Services Division. With more on what's in this forty seven page report, I'm gonna guess it's a page turner. Nick Westall is a global news reporter and has looked over this for us. Hi, Nick. Alan, good afternoon. So what's in this report? What's the most damning? And when we have these Auditor General reports, there's always something that's damning.
2: Oh, 100%. And um, just so your listeners have a perspective, there are just about shy of 5,000 vehicles across the city of Toronto, collectively worth $330 million. So the Auditor General took a look. Um, one of the biggest things that jumped out uh, over an 18-month period, she found almost three million dollars worth of damage caused to city vehicles just by negligent driving on the part of the city employees
0: negligent driving what is it what does that mean
2: so it could be bumping into a pole um a variety of different ways that these vehicles could have been damaged
0: just just bad drivers or is uh, this negligence exactly. and having it repaired and you know the getting the oil change that sort of thing
2: no, it's just essentially um, incidents caused by bad driving. There's plenty other she, other things she, uh, she found too, as well. There's uh, under new vehicles bought, she said, up to two point six million dollars could have been saved if city staff simply pursued warranty claims on those vehicles.
0: Are you kidding me? No. So and, uh, the vehicle's under warranty, but city staff's like, "Wow, we'll pay for it anyway." Essentially. And, um, yeah,
2: so it was working out to $2.6 million. Uh, Another finding, she found $1.9 million worth of fleet equipment unaccounted for. So that could be parts attachments to, and she even cited things like Zamboni machine.
0: We've lost a Zamboni? Essentially. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, and it gets, uh, and there's other things, too. So uh, excessive vehicle, uh, rental vehicle expenses. So... Um, between two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen, City of Toronto spent about eighty thousand dollars on rental vehicles that sent, that sat parked for about a week because there was a delay in staff picking up those vehicles. So your tax dollars are paying for city vehicle or rental vehicles to sit parked.
0: All right, so add all of this up. Rental vehicles just sitting there. Lost yep. Zambonis. Who's responsible for it and where's the buck stop?
2: Well, uh, you, you, I, uh, taxpayers of Toronto, that's ultimately who's paying it. Um, and uh, the buck's going to stop with councils. The Auditor General's made about 20 recommendations calling for a variety of uh, overhauling of oversight, uh, changing policies. There's a, just reading the report, that's one of the things that stood out, is just how many recommendations for change that the Auditor General made here.
0: Nick Westall is a Global News reporter, and you can read his story where he really digs into this report and shows where this money is being wasted. You can read it on globalnews.ca. Nick, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks so much, Al. I want to turn our attention now to vaping. You know that this is a topic that I talk about quite a bit on the program and the mysterious vaping illness, trying to figure out what's causing it. And more and more, we are getting evidence that it's related to THC. And specifically, it's related to the vaping of cannabis. I'll start with this. Police have made a huge drug bust in New Jersey now that involves marijuana and vaping cartridges that contain THC hash oil. Police say they've arrested seven people. And in all, they found 81 pounds of marijuana. But that's not the concern. The concern is the 6,000 vaping cartridges that were seized. These are illegally produced, and there is some evidence, not necessarily that these cartridges, but illegally produced cartridges in the United States, may be largely responsible for the proliferation of vaping illness. Now, cannabis vapes are among a series of new products, including edibles, extracts, and topicals that are now officially legal in Canada as of October the 17th. And the earliest that they're actually going to be for sale legally in Canada is mid-December. So by mid-December, you may be able to legally purchase a vape pen. Will you? Considering all of the worries surrounding vaping and THC? Now, no single product or substance has been linked to all of these cases, which is why we have this mystery on our hands. But check this out. Just over three quarters of Canadians who reported using cannabis during the first half of this year consumed dried cannabis, which is referred to often as flower or leaf. It's currently legal. So 77% of people said, no, smoke it the old-fashioned way or use it in a leaf form. But other products were also heavily used, and they're currently illegal up until the 17th, not legal to purchase at any point. Consumed edibles, 26% of cannabis users say they've consumed edibles. Liquid concentrates, 20%. Cannabis oil cartridges or vape pens, 19%. 19% of users have used those. And many experts estimate that the concentrate and vape pen market, when it is all fully legal, will be about 20 to 25% of the overall market. So we need to keep a close eye on what's going on in terms of health products and health impacts. Millions of people now inhale marijuana, not through joints or pipes, because nobody wants to smoke the burning leaves anymore. Instead, it's cartridges and e-cigs. And people in the legalized marijuana industry say vaping products could account for, and I said 20 to 25, it could be 30% or more. This according to an article in the New York Times today. Teenagers, millennials, baby boomers are all drawn to the technology. There's no ash, there's very little smell, easy to hide. Now, most of the patients of the outbreak of severe lung illnesses linked to vaping, which has left 1,400 people sick and killed 33, all of them, pretty much, vaped THC. And government and research has poured resources into studying e-cigarettes, especially south of the border, but federal rules sharply limit research into the health effects of cannabis because it is still classified as a controlled substance with high potential for abuse, which means it's difficult to actually do scientific work on it because it's illegal. Vaping oils typically include additives, solvents, and flavor enhancers, and health investigators believe that some of the ingredients, especially vitamin E acetate, could be responsible for some of these lung illness cases. Christina Sperling is Senior Director of Programs and Services at the Ontario Lung Association and joins me on the line to talk more about what we do and what we don't know about vaping. Hi, Christina.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm good. What's the evidence show in terms of vaping THC, is that in itself dangerous?
1: I mean, as you already have identified, there ha- isn't a lot of research on this topic as of right now, so I, I, I can't specify any evidence that does exist. Um, but what we are seeing through experience and seeing um, how many hospitalizations there's been, as well as the numerous number of deaths that have occurred, um, vaping in general or anything that you inhale is damaging to your lungs, um, and it should be considered. Uh, before you engage in that activity.
0: Some jurisdictions in the United States have advised people to cease vaping THC altogether immediately until we know more. Then there is the other side that says, well, vaping is likely healthier if your only alternative is burning carcinogens. Do we have evidence that one is actually healthier than the other?
1: Uh, I don't know that we have concrete evidence. I think some studies have shown that the um, the burning of an actual cigarette um, can be more harmful than vaping. Although, like you identified, um, these cartridges, the oils in them, those with THC, uh, I think there's some discussion that some of them are created on the black market or are not legalized yet. So there's some unknowns as to what's actually going into those. However, um, you did identify as well that... Not It hasn't been one specific type of oil or cartridge that's been linked to all of these hospitalizations or deaths. Um, so it, we're still unsure as to what exactly is causing all of these illnesses.
0: We're speaking with Christina Smerling from the Lung Association, and you make a great point about legal versus illegal, black market versus actual real market. Does the Lung Association have concerns that the federal government is now moving forward with the legalization of vape pens, and we're likely to be able to buy them legally as early as December.
1: Of course, anything, the Lung Association or the Ontario Lung Association always has concerns when there's anything that's being legalized that you would be inhaling. Um, We really want to make people um, aware of what the risks are to their lungs um, and and really encourage people to educate themselves. So if you're a parent, please educate your child um, if they're going to engage in that activity um, or if you're going to do it yourself, please uh, consider the risks.
0: Thank you very much. That's Christina Sperling, who is with the Ontario Lung Association, talking about what is a big concern for many people, which is this mysterious vaping illness, which has killed so many and sickened so many, especially south of the border. Thank you, Christina, for being on the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Welcome back to the program. A lot of news making news around the world right now. I want to take you around the world before we land back in Toronto for a preview of the Raptors' home opener. Let's begin. In Syria, we're angry over the U.S. withdrawal. Residents of a Kurdish-dominated city pelted departing American military vehicles with potatoes today as they drove through. It's a video you really must see. These uh, armored vehicles driving through the streets and men just hucking potatoes at him, just throwing potatoes. And, of course, I understand the anger, but I also think to myself, French fries. Anyway, this is what uh, one of the uh, men shouted at the Americans. Like rats, America is running away. Another shouted obscenities and talked of babies in Kurdish-held areas who have died in the offensive from Turkey. Let's go to Australia. Let's go down under in a fight for freedom of the press. Australian news outlets from across the political spectrum, including Robert Murdoch's tabloids, united today to protest the country's encroaching secrecy laws. Newspapers ran redacted articles on their front pages in a show of solidarity and online and on the air. Prominent journalists called for change. Quote, when government keeps the truth from you, what are they covering up? Question mark. That was the question that ran on the cover of newspapers, including The Australian, which is owned by Mr. Murdoch. Liberal Fairfax newspapers, even small city and rural newspapers followed suit. The question was accompanied with lines of text that had been heavily blacked out. And this campaign is intended to pressure the federal government to change laws in Australia that threaten jail time to certain whistleblowers and journalists And it allows the authorities to withhold information that is often unrelated to matters of national security. Here is the Federal Police Commissioner addressing the campaign at a Senate meeting this morning.
3: In regards to the recent inquiries and media reporting on the freedom of the press, as I previously stated, police independence and freedom of the press are both fundamental pillars that coexist in our democracy. I strongly believe in these two pillars. And this is the approach I t- intend to make.
0: That is the Federal Police Commissioner
3: reacting
0: to this campaign by newspapers in Australia. All of these laws fall under an umbrella of secrecy that consecutive Australian governments have created over the last two decades. No other developed democracy has such a strong stranglehold on its secrets as Australia. Australia. And despite widespread media opposition, it's taken years for news organizations to agree to take this concerted stand. But two raids by the Australian Federal Police back in June, one on the home of a journalist and the second on the offices of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation – has now brought to light the ease with which authorities can execute search warrants on journalists and how few rights that journalists and sources have in Australia. That is a story that bears watching. To the mother country, the Duchess of Sussex, Sussex, the former Meghan Markle. You may have seen portions of this interview. She says that her first year of marriage to Prince Harry has been hard... Not because of being married, not because of having a kid, but because of the tabloids. Markle has told British network ITV her British friends had warned her not to marry the prince saying because the British tabloids will destroy your life. She says she naively dismissed the warnings because as an American she hadn't understood how the British press worked. Earlier this month Markle had sued the Mail on Sunday tabloid claiming it had illegally published a letter she wrote to her father. On the same show Prince Harry says most of what's printed in the British tabloids is not true adding I will not be bullied into playing a game that killed my mum, Charles de la Desma, London. And there is talk about where those royals might relocate. They're talking about spending half of their time in the United States, half their time in the UK. But some think that maybe, maybe Canada would be a nice place. Come, I mean, Miss Markles lived in Toronto before. She knows what it's like. To the NBA. And what's coming tomorrow in Toronto, a massive, thank you, Drake, thank you, a massive celebration of our NBA champions, the rings, the banner, all the hoopla. But there will be a different kind of hoopla going on outside of the stadium because the National Basketball Association's showdown with China over free speech has created an unanticipated opening week problem. Hong Kong protesters that plan to use the league's arenas and broadcasts as a platform to get their message out. Several NBA policies say that signs bearing a political message will not be tolerated at games. Most arenas have security regulations that clearly state any such signs brought in by fans will be confiscated and will be cause for ejection. But already, we've had protests at a number of preseason games, and supporters of the democracy movement in Hong Kong have organized large scale demonstrations for opening night games in Los Angeles, and most importantly for us, here in Toronto. Thousands of t shirts are expected to be handed out outside of the stadium in advance of tip off. And the thinking from protesters is sure. You can't take a, you can take away the signs. there's a clear policy on signs, but what about this shirt I'm wearing? You gonna take that from me? You're gonna throw me out because I'm wearing a yellow shirt or a shirt that says stand with Hong Kong? It is going to be fascinating tomorrow. How are those people going to be treated at security on their way in? And then once they're in, how are they going to be treated by security when they're in the stands? Organizers are hoping that as much as a third of the audience might be wearing Stand with Hong Kong t-shirts. How will the league react to it? And how will the Raptors and the security at Scotia handle it? Keep your eye on that story. We're going to be there live. I'll be live there tomorrow for the tip-off for Global News. Welcome back to the program here on Election Day. Did you know that there are 20,000 polling stations across this country that are being staffed by approximately 300,000 people in various roles? Plus, those people are making cash. Dollars, folks. A various amount of payment ranges. Information officers, those are the people who direct you to the correct place to vote. They get 15 bucks an hour. Now, the highest position open to the public is deputy returning officer. For that, you get $271.65 a day, including for four advance poll voting days. Now, even with all of that, sometimes it doesn't quite work out. Like this morning in the Beaches area. Beaches in Leslieville has seen a major power outage. Hydro crews still working to restore power. And many people actually had to vote in the dark this morning which after this election campaign might have been a relief. Morgan Campbell is with us, has been covering this and looking at uh, voting irregularities and voting problems both here in Toronto and around the country, across this country. Morgan, how are you?
3: I'm great, Alan. How are you?
0: Are there lights where you are?
3: (laughs) Well, there appears to be lights here, (laughs) but (laughs) not so lucky in the other areas that you had mentioned. You know, I think it was it's pretty neat when you talk to people, and they're just so thankful for the uh i guess some might suggest archaic way of voting, which is with a trusty pencil and a piece of paper
0: yeah, it's like we're scoring a mini golf game because you get those little tiny pencils,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, but you know what i've I've been pretty lucky today I've had a chance to speak to a lot of voters who um, are turning out to polling stations, really excited about you know, what this country could look like tomorrow morning. It could be, you know, could be a very different country uh, tomorrow morning, depending on what government gets in and if it's a minority or, or a majority.
0: Obviously uh, not scientific in terms of your polling, but uh, when you see people going into the polls, what are they talking about in terms of motivation, why they're coming out?
3: My non-scientific prediction, no. <laughs> Let me tell you, people want to come out because they want to see a change. There are some people who think that Trudeau, you know what, he needs another mandate. Arguably, can can a government get a lot done in just four years? But then on the other side, you've got younger people, a, a large number of younger people. I'm talking 18, 19, 20, 21, um, out Voting because they want their voices heard, and we saw this back you know in the previous federal election um, with all those Trudeau supporters and the the millennials that came out to cast a ballot and I think that that's, that really speaks volumes. I think some people have really clicked with um, with the younger folks, including jigmeet Singh um, people uh, the younger folks tend to be a little more you know leaning toward you know the ndp and their message so it's kind of it's kind of neat you know and then there was also the people the elderly people who are you know the target they 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 always are showing up and it was just neat to see the smiles i guess you know people exercising their democratic rights and stopping to chit chat with the cameras while doing so sure
0: now did you see many people taking selfies a lot of selfies
3: One girl, and uh, she was 19.
0: That's a shock.
3: (laughs) Totally shocking. But let's just actually talk about that for a quick second, Alan. Um, It is illegal to take pictures of your ballot, to take video inside these polling stations. And in a day and age where everything, you know, nothing really happens unless you post it on social media, and you know who I'm talking about, um elections canada is saying hey you want to post on social media please go ahead do so use a hashtag but don't take those pictures inside
0: yeah we were talking a little earlier in the program about senator pupatello who used to be a ontario minister was an ontario minister under dalton mcginty who's running for the liberals in this campaign trying to get back into politics and she voted in the advance polling and, sure enough, took a selfie of herself actually holding her ballot, saying, I did it, I voted for myself, and then had to take it down and, and apologize.
3: Oh, that's a huge no-no. It's a huge no-no. And, you know, Elections Canada, every... And, and it's only been the last, the arguably, I would say, probably this election and the last election, where those types of things are happening, because we do live in a day and age, Alan, where... People are taking pictures of what they had for lunch and their dog on the walk and their vacation and everybody's posting everything online and some things are not meant to be put online and I
0: don't understand Monday. what you're saying, I don't get that everything is <laughs> everything is fodder for social media, as you say if it's not on social media, it did not happen so I'm going to post about this interview right away so that we actually have evidence that it happened, Morgan, thank you so much I really for think you should thanks. thanks for being on the program, I appreciate that
3: it's always a pleasure, you take care Alan and don't forget to vote
0: I am going to exercise that franchise right after the program, thank you I want to run down now uh, quickly, if you're still undecided this is a, perhaps a quick cheat sheet on a number of key platforms i don't have a lot of time here but i want to run through a couple of these things if climate change is what motivates you to vote the conservatives say they're going to scrap the liberal government's price on carbon emissions and in its place conservatives would have put a cap on emissions for heavy emitters and companies that pollute beyond the cap will be forced to invest in research and development the liberals They have already imposed a carbon price on provinces that don't have one of their own. Read Ontario. The federal initiative is opposed by a number of provinces, not just here. The platform, the liberal platform, also includes a commitment to net zero emissions by 2050 and a promise to plant two billion trees and to also use tax money to send people camping. The NDP... That party would earmark $15 billion to fight climate change with $6.5 billion going towards new public transit, $3 billion to fund green developments, $15,000 rebates for the purchase of a zero-emission vehicle that's made in Canada, an increase in the federal carbon price, and to cancel government subsidies for fossil fuel industries and stop the expansion of Trans Mountain, that oil pipeline. The Greens... Would double Canada's emissions target for 2013, 2030 pardon me, at 60% below 2005 levels by 2030. Elizabeth May has called it a climate emergency. So if climate is your issue, that's where the major parties stand on that. Here's one that I think a lot more people might be interested in, and that's your wallet. In terms of affordability, here's what the Conservatives are proposing. An income tax cut for earnings under 47600 a year, lowering the rate from 15% to 13.5%. The Conservatives would also reintroduce some of those Harper-era tax credits, a public transit tax credit, a tax credit for sports and arts lessons for your kids, a home reno tax credit, and Shear has committed to removing the GST on home heating. The Liberals, they have a broad tax cut, a non-refundable tax credit from 15 dollars to $12,000, that changes that. And the benefit of the change will be reduced for those making more than $147,000. And altogether, if you make more than $210,000 a year. The NDP, however, they're promising to hype corporate tax rates from 15 to 18%. And the top personal income tax bracket, if you make more than $210,000 a year, your taxes would go up from 33 to 35%. That gives you a sense there are a couple of the key platforms. If you happen to be undecided, we don't have a time to go through them all, but those are some of the key important ones. And a reminder to stay with us here on Global News Radio throughout the course of the day. Join us for Global News at 5.30 and 6. At 6 o'clock, it's simulcast right here on this radio station. And then at 7 o'clock, I'll be here with Alex Pearson on the air from 7 till 9 as we get ready For those polls to close at 9.30 and all of the results to come flooding in from Ontario, it'll be quick, but will it make any difference? Will we have to wait until the wee hours of the morning, until British Columbia votes? Donna Friesen will stick handle our national coverage. That is simulcast beginning 9 p.m. tonight here on Global News Radio. Get out there. Get that that exercising franchise out and get in there and vote.